Welcome to Inspiring Women with Lori McGraw. I am your host, Lori McGraw. I have spent the past 30 years in leadership, and over the years, I've come to learn one thing. Women need women, and not just any women, but inspiring women. Tune in every week to hear from women at the pinnacle of their careers and from others who are just starting out. Episodes can be found at inspiringwomen.show or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening, and I hope you will be inspired. Welcome to another episode of Inspiring Women, and I am very pleased that today we're going to be speaking with this inspiring woman, who is Dr. C.B. Harkwell. Now, she is a lifelong advocate for feminism. We're going to be talking about her new book, which is Feminism, A Key Idea in Business. Now, she is an author, a management scholar, a consultant, a writer, a toolmaker. Um, C.B. is the co-founder of Feminists at Work, which is a business practice consultancy. She's also the co-founder and producer of the entrepreneurialfeministforums.com, which is a conference and community for feminist entrepreneurs. CB has her PhD from the University of Michigan. She's taught for many years both organizational change and entrepreneurship at the University of Virginia, as well as the Stevens Institute of Technology. She's published award-winning research. She has spoken um, quite a bit. And CB advocates for us that we craft our work work, design our products, set our ambitions, run our companies, and partner with our stakeholders in ways that lead us and our businesses to advance social justice and promote flourishing for everyone. CV, thank you so much for joining us on Inspiring Women. Thank you, Lori. I'm really excited to be here, and I'm really excited to have the chance to talk with you and also your audience about how feminist perspectives can really help us rethink what we're doing in business and help us kind of redesign our approach to what we do and how we work together so that we can make things work better for everybody. Well, I want to spend um, actually a lot of time talking about those concepts, and so I appreciate you kicking off with that. But before we dive into your book, Feminism, A Key Idea for Business and Society, why don't you tell us what you're doing right now? Okay, so what I am doing right now is I'm working with a community of feminist entrepreneurs that's loosely based in Toronto, but that's actually all across the globe. And what I am doing is building tools and teaching workshops and coaching entrepreneurs in taking feminist principles, feminist insights, and feminist values, and finding ways to infuse them into the day-to-day practices of startups mostly. And I focus mostly on startups because what we've found is that it's a lot easier to create something new in a green field than it is to transform something in, you know, what we used to call the brownfield environment. And so one thing that's great about working with feminist entrepreneurs is that these are folks who are building businesses from the ground up. And so every different decision that they make about their businesses is an opportunity to do things just a little bit differently. And then when you start putting all of these little pieces together, you can kind of wrap them up into a venture, into an enterprise or an organization that when it's all said and done is doing enough things differently that they can have a real impact. So I've been focusing mostly on um, helping the entrepreneurs in this community uh, figure out how to put ideas into practice. 
Well, you use that word feminism and feminist and feminist principles um, throughout everything that you're talking about. Now, that's sort of a word that has a little bit of, um, um, I don't know, emotion taboo. Oh, yeah. It seems mm -hmm. like it's coming back in vogue now. Um, people wear that badge proudly. But where did the interest come from? Because you are a lifelong advocate for feminism and it has not always been a popular term. No, it hasn't. And that whole question of how people perceive feminism is a really important one. But before we touch on that, I'll just basically say that I have been a feminist ever since seventh grade. And I put it back to seventh grade because in my junior high yearbook under my picture was the quote, she believes in women's lib. <laughs> Which is basically, you know, I guess what we called it back in the 70s, women's lib. Um, but I grew up in a single parent household where my mother worked uh, first as a secretary and a librarian, and then later as an advertising executive. So I had kind of a front row seat on the challenges of a woman who was trying to take a place as a breadwinner, as a professional, as a creative person, as an executive. And I got to see my mom address all of these issues. And uh, so I had a very real world introduction to the basic issues of feminism pretty much from the get-go. And so I always had that awareness in mind. And then also because of the activities that, again, that my mom was involved in, she was also very active in civil rights. And so I also saw the interplay between the efforts to advance women's rights or to advance gender equity, and also the question of civil rights and addressing racism. Well, that's interesting. CV, that's that's where, you know, let's just go to the definition that you put on feminism, because I thought yeah. this was really interesting. I actually want to read it. So you, in your book, you start with the definition of feminism as a movement to end sexism, sexual exploitation, and oppression, but you make it more expansive. You mm -hmm. add, feminism seeks to establish political, social, and economic equality among women, men, mm -hmm. and all people. And feminism aims to create a world where people flourish. So just tell us a yep. little bit more about that definition. Yeah. So what's crazy about that definition is the response that I get from people when I share it. And I usually share it just as you did, unfolding it in pieces, because there's a couple of really important moves that um, we make with that definition. And the first one is to just name that it's sexism and it's gender discrimination that is the initial but not the only motivating force of feminism. And then also just to name the fact that it's not just for women or for females, but that men and males and then anybody else stands to benefit from the feminist movement because the feminist movement is ultimately um, out there to change the world for everybody. But that's the first part, just including everyone in that and naming sexism. And that's usually where people stop because we've been taught to think of issues in this world as having a single dimension. It's about gender, it's about race, it's about class, it's about whether or not you use a wheelchair, it's about whether or not you speak English as a first language. And it's about all of those things at the same time. So bringing in all different kinds of oppression is very important. Um, the second part of it, focusing on um, equality that's political, economic, and social is critical too, because you know we want to get rid of 
oppression, but what do we want to get rid of it for? Well, first off, so that we can all be equal. And when I say equal, I use a very specific understanding of equality. And it's the sense that we are equal as human beings. We all matter equally. Just the way that, you know, when we have more than one child, we understand that each of our children matters equally. They're they're all important. And when we start recognizing that all people are important, not just some people, it changes the way that we organize together and that we figure out how stuff should be done. The third part of the definition of feminism is also really important because most people think of feminism and anti-racism as just being against oppression. But feminism actually asks us to think, once we're equal, what do we do? What's the real goal of life? What's the real goal of society or economics? And feminist philosophers have um, long identified that flourishing and flourishing for everyone is the ultimate goal. And so if you think about feminism as both a movement intended to stop oppression, it's also a movement intended to create a better kind of world with ideas about how you get there. And so feminism is both a stopping or an opposition movement, and it's also a whole set of propositions about what we could do in the future. And that becomes really important. Well, I also like the concept of going from the women's liber from back in seventh grade and stopping oppression to to this area of flourishing. So let's bring it some of those um, concepts, you know, that you bring towards business. And now you said you're working with a bunch of women entrepreneurs, feminist entrepreneurs, and it's easier there. But you also say that it's very important for longstanding businesses to begin to embrace these concepts. Let's start with the obvious question. Why? Yeah, that is a great question. And it depends where you stand in this world, how you answer that question, why? Like, why should we have businesses where everyone feels equally respected? Why should we have businesses where everyone feels they're getting their fair share of the value that the business is generating? Why should we have businesses that create products that don't pollute? Why should we have businesses that create products that are priced sensibly so that all the people who need these products can buy them? I mean, how you answer that question really depends on your position in the world. Historically, businesses have been organized so that they make money for their owners. And all the stuff that they do, like the products that they make, the way they sell them, is all around generating wealth for the people who are in charge. And what feminism is asking us to think about is how do we create businesses, build products, organize with each other, um, share revenues, share values? How do we do that in a way that works well for everyone? And so that question of why we should, why should we think about feminism or why should we think about anti-racism or why should we think about ableism when we think about businesses? The very first reason is obviously the moral one which is that it's the right thing to do. Why should we have businesses that take advantage of some people so that others can have more? Well, we shouldn't, it's just morally wrong. And then the second answer to that question of why should we bring feminist perspectives into business? That one is actually kind of fun because if you start to think about what feminism asks us to consider, it helps us look at a whole lot of business-related problems differently. For example, if you take a feminist perspective on product development, 
and you think, um, how are we going to create products that actually serve the real needs of people and don't take advantage of them? You come up with different product ideas. And those are blue ocean strategies, if you will, for building out your business. But if you ignore what women need, if you ignore what females need, if you ignore what less powerful or less visible people need, you miss all those business opportunities. So those those bigger mission, blue ocean ideas, they definitely have a component that is, I'll just call it social justice in terms of, you know, what you're embedding into Mm -hmm. that thinking. But let's go to some of the hard questions. I mean, you you are right. Businesses, you know, they do run with economic value and that economic value usually goes to shareholders and owners Mm -hmm. as the main constituent. Do Do the business models hold up? Do they hold up to the scrutiny? There doesn't seem to be a lot of evidence to support support that those models work financially, which is a primary driver for business. Yeah. And that's an interesting question, Lori, because like that question of is there, there doesn't seem to be much evidence. That is a, I don't know how to describe it, but to say that that is a, a, like people will often say to me, well, prove to me that a feminist business model makes sense. And it's kind of like, I don't even have a good analogy for it. I have to say, there's this game that people play where they say, oh, you want to argue for that? Prove to me that it already exists and that it's already successful. And I have to say, I can't prove it to you because we're still building it. We're still making it happen. So we don't have a fully formed feminist economy within the one that, that we currently have that I can show you. It's like saying, show me a fish who has feet. Well, it takes a couple of, you know, billion years for those fish to develop feet and get out of the ocean. It can happen though. But also in answering that question, there are a number of businesses and also business ideas that are based in feminist principles that we have seen taking hold and making a difference. One of them, for example, is the flattening of an organization's hierarchy and the focus on horizontal relationships or peer-to-peer relationships within organizations and in ecosystems. And we know that reducing hierarchy really helps to free up a lot of energy and eliminate a lot of distracting power dynamics so that different pieces of a business can work better together. So that horizontalism is a key feature of feminist business thinking going back 100 years. And we see in tech companies all over the US, the adoption of this kind of flattened organizational hierarchy, and I guess the efficiencies or the opportunities that are released as a result. So I think those those con yeah those concepts are definitely directionally something that we see and sort of like you know we talk about human capital and mm-hmm. businesses and sort of how to work with that and I think what you're saying um, is social justice and the moral imperative of social justice actually is uh, critical to address and feminist principles help with that. And you don't just need a spreadsheet to uh, make the math work to support them. So you also talk about some interesting concepts, I think about how to redefine work and Mm -hmm. you um, put some new categories out there like care work and emotional labor that goes into investing in relationships. You're very clear to point out that diverse leadership of companies and organizations are more profitable. So we've got support for that. So just maybe talk a little bit about the redefining work and the different categories and why it's even important to recognize them. Well, yeah. One of the things that ha- that we have accepted 
in our conversation about business is that there are only a certain set of ideas and dynamics that we talk about as being kind of relevant to the business. If you think about accounting, um, in accounting, we talk about the balance sheet and the costs and benefits or the um, costs and revenues associated with doing a business. And then we also have a whole bunch of things that never show up on the balance sheet. Accountants call them externalities. Those can be things like the cost of pollution. Those can be things like the number of people who get sick in your business. They're all things that within our conventions of what is part of the business and what's not part of the business, we've just kind of got these accepted rules. And what the feminist conversation about business does is say, yeah, it's nice to talk about what's going on in that particular place, but all of those things are supported by other systems, other efforts, other people, other resources. A simple one is, um, you know, we show up for work, we're fed, we're clothed, we're in a house that's safe, and we're doing our work. Nobody says to you, how much did it cost you to feed yourself? How much did it cost you to clothe yourself? How much is it costing you to have that high-speed internet so that you can zoom into your business? All of those costs are making it possible for you to do work, but none of them are considered in the business. And so one of the things that the feminist approach has done has been to say, what are the kinds of work? What is the kind of effort that is necessary to get stuff done, but that we're not noticing, that we're not paying people for, that we're not accounting for? And some of that stuff is very simple stuff like what's now known as emotional labor, which is all the emotional energy that goes into putting on the right attitude and the right spirit to get work done. It takes energy to do that. And some jobs require more of it than others, but we tend not to value it. We tend not to notice it. And other kinds of work, like um, somebody was just telling me about a, a mentoring program in her organization where the five guys who signed up to be mentors all got an extra vacation day for the year to acknowledge the fact that they were spending time doing mentoring. And I chuckled because, you know, if you're a good manager, you're mentoring all the time, but nobody ever asks you, how many hours a week did you work on mentoring? You just do it because it's the right thing to do. Right. And so many women I talk to, like, this is just part of what they what they do. And, you know, CV, in the emotional labor, what I like about just your focus on that is it also recognizes, you know, one of the things that women just tend to be pretty good at, which is sort of putting in the relationship energy yep. to build good collaboration teamwork and there's a thoughtfulness or perhaps an instinct um, that goes with it and you put you you are ascribing value to that which I think is actually really important in the feminist principles you also did just to move to a different um, area you do a really nice job sort of debunking a lot of the things that we we I think about with feminism like okay aren't we over this now is shouldn't this <laughs> behind us, you talk about gateway feminism, which mm -hmm. is, you know, I think uh, the feel good approach of women empowerment, like up the ladder ladies and girl boss are some terms yeah. you use. So let me just talk about some, I, I won't call them myths, but you debunk a lot of the sort of, I would say, misconstrued understandings of feminism. Could you talk about a couple? Sure. So when we think about gender equity in business in general, 
we are working within business's definition of what's good for itself, not necessarily what's good for everybody. So inside that, that idea of gender equity is this concept that really what needs to be happening in order to make business fair for women and also for businesses to take advantage of diversity, really what we need to do is increase the representation of women and men of color or of people of color and women. We just need to increase the number of people to get the right assortment. We need the right assortment of chocolates in the box. And once we have that assortment correct, we'll be able to run much, much better. And so that idea of gender equity um, has asked the question, so how do we get more women? How do we get more people of color? How do we get more diversity in the organization's ranks? And so there are a lot of strategies for doing that, which basically start with just adding more women or adding more indigenous people or making sure that your pay and promotion strategies aren't biased towards race or gender or age or ability or whatever. And those are, in general, not bad strategies. I mean, it's not a bad idea to make sure that everybody gets an equal chance to contribute, an equal chance to get paid well, an equal chance to feel fulfilled, an equal chance to get a, a leadership role. So that's perfectly good. The challenge with that, though, is you're familiar with the metaphor of uh, rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic? Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot like that. So basically what we're doing is changing the assortment of people in organizations that are currently not very healthy. They're currently in an economic system that is also not very healthy. So basically we're rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic, which is fair. We should have a fair assortment of people on the front deck. We should have a fair assortment of people in the lifeboats. There's no reason for that to be biased by gender or by race, right? But what we really want is we want different people making the decisions using different criteria so that the boat doesn't slam into an iceberg and sink. So what you're asking, what you're asking, CV, is you're really asking for businesses to dig deeper than just, I'll just call it the window dressing, you know, in terms of the different ideas to get to that flourishing for all. I want to talk about one more sort of like challenging topic that you covered um, before we close out here. So you talked a bit about sexual harassment and violence, and there's lots of um, training and businesses really embrace that this will not be tolerated um, and things of that nature. Nature, but you get into what I think are some of the nuances of um, more normalized behavior, condescending, you call it selective mm -hmm. incivility. Selective incivility, yeah. Yeah, and the, you, you talk about it as low intensity types of harassment, which mm -hmm. is just as harmful to women. Can you draw that out a little bit? Sure. So one of the things that, that we don't like to think about very much is the way that how we organize at work often has the threat of violence or the threat of harm behind it. So we often don't think about the idea that when it's all said and done, if that person doesn't do the job you want them to do, you fire them. You threaten them with a loss of income. And so that actually gets a lot of behavior motivated because people don't want to be punished or hurt that way. So the big picture of business is that there's a lot of potential violence and just a lot of domination um, bullying behaviors, coercion, control in the worst of organizations. In many organizations, this is, it's a lot better. But the general idea is that 
in the way that we organize together at work, there is often a threat of violence or harm that's built into the organization systems. But there is also a lot of harm that goes on because of the way that people treat each other. And the ways that people treat each other obviously are very informed and shaped by their own biases and their own experience in, in a racist or an oppressive system. And it sounds all very horrible, but the net result is that oftentimes we look for big events like a, a sexual harassment situation um, that's, that's huge and dramatic. Or we look for big events like somebody walks into an office and shoots one of their coworkers. And we think of that as violence in the workplace. But violence in the workplace can be as subtle and as straightforward as someone continuing to mispronounce your name or someone continuing not to call on you in a Zoom meeting. And one of the things that we have learned that social psychologists have learned is that you, know, you can kill somebody with a death blow to the heart but you can also kill them with a thousand cuts. And one of the things we're realizing as we learn more and pay more attention to negative dynamics in organizations is that everyday racist behaviors, everyday sexist behaviors, and even everyday behaviors that you don't think are biased, like just ignoring somebody for whatever reason, those accumulate and they wound people, but they also, prevent people from contributing. They also lead people to withdraw and they lead people not to engage because they're trying to protect themselves. And um, one of the things, you know, people will often say, oh, I mispronounced her name. That's not a big deal. She can get over it. Well, yeah, you could get over it once, but if it happens to you 20 times in a week, that's harmful. And it wears you down. And, and it wears so, you down. Yeah, CV, those are just, I think, excellent comments and insights and also give us ideas about things that as managers, as leaders, as women moving up the ladder, um, you know, can really think about and also address. As we close out today, this has been mm -hmm. such an excellent conversation. What are your thoughts that you want to leave our audience with in terms of why embrace feminist principles? What are your closing thoughts, CV? Well, one of the things that, that you had mentioned to me earlier was this question of like, well, what advice would I give women um, who wanted to be more successful or have more of an impact at work? And I like to think of feminist advice as being useful to anybody, whether they present as a woman or you know, whether they present as any other kind of category or kind of person. Um, but one of the things I like to ask um, or that I would always ask the business students that I would teach, the MBA students that I would teach, is I would ask them this one question. As you approach that decision, are you going to be an agent of change or will you be a cog in the wheel? And there are a lot of people who just want to be a better cog so that the wheel moves efficiently and they get promoted and they move up and they make the system hum. And that's, you know, okay. But there's another option, and the other option is being an agent of change. And with that, if you take that role, you then ask yourself, what's a small thing I could do? What's the next thing I could do to make this better for the people that I work with? What's the next thing that I could do to make this more open for people of different cultures? What's the next thing I can do to make sure that we're addressing this fairly? What's the next thing I can do 
to help us re-examine that assumption. And so I'm always like, you know, you can be an agent of change or you can be a cog in the wheel. And that's a choice that you can make. I love that. And so this has been just an excellent conversation. This has been an episode of Inspiring Women. We have been talking with Dr. C.V. Harkwell. She has written Feminism, a key idea for business and society. And she is asking us to be an agent of change. C.V., thank you so very much. My pleasure, Lori. Thank you. This has been an episode of Inspiring Women with Lori McGraw. Please subscribe, rate, and review. We are produced by Kate Cruz at Executive Podcast Solutions. More episodes can be found on inspiringwomen.show. I am Lori McGraw, and thank you for listening.